you would like. You can turn to John chapter 12 as I continue in a slightly long series in the Gospel of John, sermon number 119. And yes, I keep count. Sermon number 119. We're not halfway through the Gospel of John. We're in the last week of our Lord's life here on the earth. So we're looking back, of course, a long time ago. These words are the words we're going to concentrate on today. And I will draw all peoples to myself. It's John 12, 32, and as most of you know, it comes in a context, starting in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Father, glorify your name, Jesus said. This is how he's going to glorify uh, his name through the work of the Son. And I, if I be lifted up, basically means when that happens, these three results will come about. The third one is I will draw all peoples to myself. The Greek text just says all. The New King James Version supplies peoples. That's why it's in italics, whichever way that would go. So we'll have to deal with that. But this is the third result of Jesus' um, death. Namely, as the incarnate Son of God, upon his death, he would draw all peoples to himself. If I am lifted up from the earth. That's what we looked at last week. And we used the Gospel of John and the words of Jesus to help us understand what Jesus meant there. You remember John 3, 14 to 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Our Lord there says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up. Now that's referring to something way back in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21. Uh, The people were grumbling. God inflicts temporal judgment upon them. And then the remedy is provided by God as well. Look at this bronze serpent up on a stick and you'll be healed. Not you'll gain eternal life, but you'll be, your life here on the earth will be prolonged. So when Jesus says, similar to that, I'm going to be lifted up, it's not for the same quality of life that God conferred upon those that looked upon the serpent, namely temporal life. It's eternal life. And he says this uh, in John 3, 16, 15, 16, and 15, 16. So we could say this in John 3, and I think it applies here in John 12 as well, just as the ancient people looked to the serpent lifted up and lived, so Jesus is claiming a similar, though greater thing of himself, just as the Lord appointed the serpent as a means of temporal life, so he has appointed the Son of Man as a means of eternal life. If you have sins, if you're guilty, he's your answer, not a serpent on a pole. Now, we're going to look at the words specifically, I will draw all peoples to myself. As I've said before, this is the third result of our Lord's death by crucifixion. What does it mean? I will draw all peoples to myself. So first of all, in answering that question, things it cannot or could not mean. Things that it cannot or could not mean. I will draw all to myself. It cannot mean that our Lord is claiming that after his death by crucifixion, he will draw all people of all time to himself to be saved. Can't mean that. Why? Because it would clearly contradict other portions of our Lord's teaching while on the earth. For example, John 5, 27 to 29, the Father has given him, that is the Son, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. 
Okay, so it's Jesus is speaking about the future. There's coming a day in which everyone who is in a grave shall hear, this is interesting, his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So whatever this means, I will draw all peoples to myself. It cannot mean in the future the Lord is going to draw every single sinner created in the image of God and fallen to himself for salvation. It can't teach universal salvation because Jesus' other statements deny that very thing. So it can't mean that. But it could mean something else. It could mean that our Lord is claiming that after his death by crucifixion, in the far distant future, he will summons all people of all ages to appear before him as their judge. That's what he teaches in John 5, the verses I just read. In the far distant future, the Son of Man will call, uh, put, somehow mysteriously, infuse souls back into bodies that are then resurrected and he's gonna, there's going to be this general judgment of all people. Some will be resurrected to the resurrection of life. Some will be resurrected to the resurrection of condemnation. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself in the distant future at the general judgment. Could mean that. I don't think it does. And I'll give you some reasons why later. Third thing, it could mean, secondly, that our Lord is claiming that while, while he was being crucified, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all kinds of people to witness my death. Again, it could mean that. I think I said this to my wife yesterday. She said, people hold that view? I don't know if anybody holds that view, but I read it in one of the commentaries. Jesus could be saying in the near distant future, let Namely, within five days, I think it is, or however many days, when I die, there's going to be all kinds of people watching it. Um, it could mean that. I don't think it does. It doesn't sound good with the context to me. It's not, like, real encouraging to know that. But what does it mean? So here's what it must mean. I will draw all peoples to myself. We have to deal with the word draw, don't we? What does it mean to draw? Well, you could say it means to grab a crayon and go for it on a piece of paper, okay? Okay, well, there's this word's used in several places in the New Testament. One place it's used with Peter drawing a net full of fish. So there it would have a connotation of bringing near to oneself with some resistance, right? The fish aren't being effectually called, the fish probably don't like being in the net in the first place, and then when they're pulled toward Peter, they like it even less. So they're resisting, right? And then there's this other use of uh, this word draw. It's in John 6:44, And we need to go there because it's a similar context, I think, and I think it actually provides the clincher on what Jesus means in John 12. John 6:44. Some of you know exactly what this verse says. No one can come to me, doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? Unless, ooh, a ray of hope, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, that's, that's the same words. I'm going to argue, whatever that means, it means the same thing in John 12. And then watch the next word. And I will raise him up at the last day. Here the word draw leads ultimately to resurrection on the last day. We need to ask the question, okay, no one can come to the Son unless the Father who sent him draws him, and the Son says, I'll raise him up at the last day. What is the purpose of that resurrection for those who have been drawn by the Father? Is it judgment under condemnation? The answer is no. That's why I'm going to say, in John 12, it doesn't mean I'm going to draw even my people to me as their judge on the last day. That's not what it means there, because it doesn't mean that here. It's not for the purpose of judgment unto condemnation. Listen to the next verse in John uh, 6. 
This is John 6, 44, 45. Right after 44, in case you can count, 44, then 45, says this. It is written in the prophets. So Jesus makes an assertion, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And now watch what he does. Oh, I'm going to go back into the Old Testament to basically confirm what I'm saying. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That doesn't sound like a comes to me in the far distant future at the judgment day, does it? Sounds like a contemporary coming. Sounds like something individuals do in their lifetime here on the earth. Note a few things here, that coming to Christ surpasses human ability. No one can come to me. That was a quote of somebody else. No one can come to me. So if you're here, you don't have the ability, because you're marred and scarred by the fall into sin, to just throw off your sinfulness and fly to Christ. This is an astounding assertion concerning human inability. And what's really mysterious to us is inability is not the grounds for the lack of accountability. Our unableness to come to Christ is part of our guilt, not the basis that we can say, well, I was unable, so I can't be held accountable. Though all who hear the gospel are responsible to come to come to Christ, none who hear it have the ability to come to Christ. Unless, right? And you know what? That's an indication of good news in the verse, unless the Father who sent me draws him. But note also that it takes a divine act upon and within the soul to come to Christ. No one can come to me unless there's divine action, divine operation that terminates in a soul that that brings them to Christ. This implies that divine power must be executed on the earth within souls in order for sinners to come to Christ in the sense that is meant in this text. You realize our need is often greater than we think. Sometimes we think, I got to bite the bullet and just get better and and, um, with this religion thing. This says, Unless the Father draws you, you don't come to Christ savingly. Third note here to help us understand John 12 with John 6. Note what this divine act within souls brings with it. And I will raise him up on the last day. So we have this drawing power of the Father within souls. It's only the beginning. The end or goal is the enjoyment of God in the resurrected state which begins on the last day. And then remember these words of John 6, 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, that is, in space and time on the earth while they're living here as sinners, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So this coming to Christ issues in not being cast out as well. So whatever this drawing that causes people to come, they come and they land and they're secured. They won't be cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up on the last day. So in John 6, this drawing of the Father, this drawing power of the Father, causes sinners who cannot come to Christ to come to Christ. No one can come to me unless this drawing power of the Father causes it to happen. Those who come to Christ will by no means be cast out. That's clear from the passage. Christ will not lose any of them. That's a good way to put it. That's borrowed from somebody else. Can a Christian lose his salvation? Only if Christ can lose his people. Christ cannot lose his people, therefore a true Christian cannot lose their salvation. And all who come to Christ will be raised by Christ 
to enjoy everlasting life. That's all John 6, and that's in the context of the drawing of the Father. But notice again verse 45 in John 6. This helps us as well. It is written in the prophets, and they, all sh- they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Do you think he's talking about the drawing of the Father in the previous verse, explaining it as a promise from the Old Testament that terminates upon people during Christ's earthly ministry and after, namely, this hearing and learning from the Father. It's an internal thing, it seems to be, right? It's not just hearing an audible voice. Don't wait for the audible voice. Read the Bible, and what happens is God takes his written word and he brings it with illuminating power to souls. So he's talking about an internal teaching of the Father, By the way, there's an echo of these very words in Ephesians chapter 4. If indeed you have heard and learned from him, or learned and heard from Christ there. But this one's concentrating on the Father. To come to Christ, one must be drawn by the Father. Hearing and learning from the Father. So this refers to an act of God in the soul's of men and women here in John 6, and it's connected to the drawing. Notice our Lord says it is written in the prophets. It's the Old Testament. Probably Isaiah 54 and Jeremiah 31 collated and put together and rephrased, paraphrased. Both of these texts, the Isaiah text and the Jeremiah text, are promising acts of God within souls to be done in the then future days of the Messiah, Jesus is saying those days that those passages predict are now coming into fulfillment. And notice the final words. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So that's drawing. What is drawing? Learning and hearing from the Father. Why? Because learning and hearing from the Father produces this, coming to Christ. Therefore, learning and hearing from the Father is drawing. It's an invisible work of God in the soul. Jesus knows some will hear and learn from the Father and come to him. And so that unbelief is conquered in sinners becoming willing to come to Christ who do not, who do come, who actually do come to Christ. You have unwilling sinners and they become willing. Unlearned and they become learned. Unhearing and they become hearing. Now, that's John 6. Does, does, does that help us understand John 12? I got some nods. The use of the word draw in John 6.44 and John 12.32 means the same thing. Our Lord is claiming that he will do what only God can do, draw hard-hearted unbelievers to himself. He's saying, whatever this drawing power of the Father is, I'm going to execute the same power after my death as the incarnate Son of God, having lived, having died. Draw hard-hearted unbelievers to himself. However, any resistance within the wills of those who are drawn to Christ is overcome and changed into a willingness to come. Okay, so... We don't want to use the fish analogy. You mean the gospel is like a net being cast out there into a, into a freshly trout-planted stream, and these trout that are going, wow, I got freedom like the first time in a while here, and, and then we throw a net out there, and against their will, they're squirming, they're fighting, they're flipping and flopping. The, that, that's the analogy for this drawing, I would say, No, it isn't, because nobody here who has come to Christ said, I don't want to do this, right? We all came out of our sensed, felt need. I I got issues. I got, we didn't say it very loud and publicly, but in our own conscience, right? We might have been saying it in prayer. I have sins and guilt, and I have problems, and I need a remedy. I need a fix that it can't be inside of me. I'm not the solution. I'm the I'm the fault. 
I'm the problem. It's, the solution has to be outside of me. And as we sat under preaching, as we read things, as we heard of believers telling us things, we started to realize, ah, the answer is him. There's one name under heaven among men that whereby we must be saved. And slowly but surely, your unwillingness became a willingness. Your resistance was overcome from within. And this is a... This is a fulfillment of prophecy if that's happened to you. Listen to Psalm 110. What is the most cited psalm in the New Testament? He knows. Psalm 110, right? Listen to Psalm. It's about the future days of Messiah's reign. Psalm 110, verse 3, King James Version, says this. Thy people, Messiah, shall be willing in the day of thy power. Isn't that great? That's it right there. Why was I willing to come to Christ? Because the Messiah was willing to display his power in me. Why did, why did I, why was the resistance in me overcome? Who did that? I didn't do it. It was done to me. I be, then I came most freely, being made willing by his grace. That's our own confession of faith. Chapter 10, paragraph 1, on effectual Calling. So I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Just as the Father draws sinners to Christ, so the Son draws sinners to Christ. That's something worth contemplating for you Trinitarians. I thought the Father draws. Yes. Jesus claims he's drawing. Therefore, whatever the power of the Father in execution is, it is the same power being executed by the Son. Only God can cause sinners bent on their own destruction to see in Christ their only hope for forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life. It doesn't, it's not just, well, smart people become Christians. This claim by our Lord is astounding. If I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I shall be the agent who executes power terminating on sin-stained souls, and I'm going to change them, and they're going to come to me most willing for grace and salvation. This is um, a quote from somebody else. I will draw all peoples to myself. The words before us, when viewed with regard to the saving operations of our Lord in reference to his peculiar people are full of important meaning. They lead us to think of the natural state of these men as a state of distance from Christ. Not not geographic distance. They were not originally in him, Have you always been in Christ? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have not always been in Christ. They were not originally in him nor near him. They were in the the world. Such were some of you. They were far off. They were without. They were apart from Christ. Ephesians 2. They were willing slaves of the prince of this world. And the words seem to indicate, too, that there was no disposition to come near. I will draw all to myself. No one can come unless, left to themselves, they would never have come near. Had they not been drawn, they never would have moved. Have you ever thought of that? Is that true? I think it is. Except the way of going farther and farther from him. This is a good time for us believers to go, yeah, unless the Father who sent the Son, and now we're learning 
the Son as well, executed divine power in the calling of my soul to himself. And by the way, if you keep reading the Bible, you'll see where the Holy Spirit, this is an act of God, the Trinity, okay? If we're honest with ourselves, the history of their being drawn to him, that is, the history of we being drawn to Christ, is not they willed and they ran and then he showed mercy. Is that the way you explain your conversion? Well, I willed, then I ran to Christ, and they said, okay, now that you willed, now that you ran, I'll show mercy. Let me read that again. The history of their being drawn to him is not they willed and they ran, and then he showed mercy, but he showed mercy in working in them the will and the act of coming to him. John Brown, 19th century Scottish Presbyterian, thank you. We know this truth, uh, if not doctrinally, at least experientially, when we contemplate and when we sing songs like this, long my imprisoned spirit lay. This is why this was written by a man who's a so-called Arminian, but he gets this part of it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. What is he talking about? Bondage to sin, my soul. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. That's good language. Bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. See what he just did? He paints the dark, ugly picture of his soul outside of Christ in bondage to sin. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Why do we love that line? Because for all of us, to, in various ways, it explains why we came to Jesus, you know, why we confessed our sins, why we, why we got up in front of people and gave a testimony and got baptized, and why we keep coming Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all like that to myself. My wife knows this. This was the break, honey, I told you about. I'm not going to take it. It's only 1028, so I'm going to keep going. Because we have to answer another question. Not only what does the word draw mean, what does the word all mean here, right? I will draw all, we'll just leave it that, to myself. It seems like draw and to myself have kind of already been answered, right? To myself for what purpose? Salvation and eternal life. What does all mean? The word all is always conditioned by its context. Right? I've used this analogy before. All are sure to have fun. There are some parties going on, I think, this Saturday. You put in the invitation. All, by the way, RSVP, I'm coming to both. Um, All are sure to have fun. You're invited to so-and-so's party. P.S., all are sure to have fun. What do you mean by the word all there? The entirety of human existence? Every person who has ever existed? Well, no, because they're, they're not on the invitation list. All are sure to have fun. Are you saying that all who are invited are sure to have fun? Well, yes, but no, because you've got to come in order to have fun, right? All who are invited and who actually come are sure to have fun. Is that what you're saying? Well, Kind of, because if all who are invited, who are surely to have fun, come, and one of them has a heart attack, not all of them had fun. You see how all there means all who are invited, who actually come and don't have heart attacks, but really have fun. And there might be other reasons for somebody not having fun. They might trip on something and crack their head open and spill blood and have to go to the doctor or something. And then we go over there, are you part of the all that were invited? Yep, 
Are you a part of the all that were invited and attended? Yep. Are you a part of the all that invited, attended, and had fun? I had fun, kind of. But then I cracked my head open. You see what I... I'm, world, same thing. The World Series is coming up this fall. Really? Every single person in the world is going to play a baseball game against each other? No, just a select handful, right? So how about here? All takes its meaning based on its use in context, right? I just contextualize that all are sure to have fun in the invitation to whatever the part, whatever kind of party it was going to be. The New King James seeks to translate all in light of the, I think, the context here by adding the word peoples. I will draw all peoples to myself. We can just leave it at all and then fill in the blank. All what? But why do they say all peoples? I think the context answers this important question. So now what we've got to do is say, okay, Jesus is saying these words in a context. You remember what happened in verses 20 and 21? Some Greeks came to the temple. They wanted to see Jesus. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I think it's verse 20, uh, 21. Jesus is told that Greeks are asking to see him. That's interesting. Then he launches into a discourse about the Son of Man being glorified. Ooh, that's interesting. I've pointed this out many times. We've got Greeks present, and Jesus is using Daniel 7, Son of Man language. That's going to be important here. He borrows that title and affixes it to himself more than any other title. Son of Man. I've read this text from Daniel 7 before. I'll read it again. I was... This is a vision, a night vision that Daniel had about the future. I was, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion... It's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, excuse me, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Do you think that those had any, those words had any influence on our Lord's self-identity and interpretation of himself and the proclamation of who he was? I think it does. The Son of Man will draw all peoples, all kinds of people to himself over a long period of time. This is, in effect, a prophecy of the future. I will draw all to myself. It's like a prophecy of the future. It doesn't terminate on the first century alone. After his resurrection, between the resurrection and the, uh, uh, and the uh, ascension, that's the only time this occurs. It's a prophecy about the future Basically saying that prophecy about the future is going to come, is going to get its fulfillment in me. The prophecy that Daniel envisioned, that night vision he got, was about me and it's now going to be fulfilled between my two comings. I think that's what it is. The prophecy about the future. Our Lord is then claiming that as Son of Man, having been crucified, he will draw sinners to himself to be saved. Now listen to these words from John 10. We're using John to help us understand John. We're using Jesus' words elsewhere to help us understand Jesus' words here. Listen to Jesus in John 10. This is 14 to 16. Some of the most beloved words our Lord spoke. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. If you have heard and learned from the Father. Known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Stop. Of course, everybody remembers the sermon I preached on that. Other sheep? What is he talking about? 
non-Jewish, Gentiles, some from every, all over, in fulfillment of Daniel 7. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And listen to John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all of my lost sheep to myself. I will draw all of the elect given to me to be redeemed. I will draw them between the two comings, between the two advents of our Lord. It's an inter-advental prophecy of the inter-advental age. The Lord of glory who now has ascended, will cause the effectual call to terminate on souls all over the world, causing people to come to him for life and to follow him until their grave. That's what he's promising here. My sheep will be found by me. My lost sheep will be drawn to me. No one will or even can stop me. I will build my church. Remember that one? That's Matthew 16. The truths contained then in the words of our Lord in John 12, 32 have been fulfilled in many who are hearing my voice today. If you've been drawn to Christ, you are in this prophecy. Ooh, we, are, we are fulfillments of prophecy. It makes me pretty special. No one can come to me unless. There, there goes the special, the pride. Who is special? God. I didn't first come. By the way, when I was in seminary, without sharing any names, one of the professors and I had a discussion. We're sitting at a table with a piece of paper. And I said, man, I'm really reading some stuff that's challenging my thinking about the relationship between faith and regeneration, drawing on the one hand and coming on the other. What happens first? Do we come and then we're drawn? Do we have faith and then we're regenerated? Or is it the other way around and all that? And so he got a piece of paper and he he said, here we are in sin going this way. And then as soon as we, as soon as we turn, as soon as we repent, as soon as we start to believe the promises of the Bible, then he had another arrow. It was God coming after us. And I said, that's exactly where I disagree, because I had John Gershner in my ear. Somebody, was anybody there? No, but I was there at Golf Ball Baptist Church in the San Fernando Valley in about 1987 or 8. A guy that's visited our church that lives up in Tehachapi was there with me and a bunch of seminary buddies, and Gershner asked the question, what happens first, regeneration or faith? You know how Gershner talks. And my friend sitting right over here gave an answer. Dr. Gershner was hard of hearing he goes right over there, what did you say? And he, he said, uh, re- regeneration? And Gershwin went ballistic. That's right! And he ran up to the board and he starts writing with his chalk thingy. If we want to be honest with ourselves and the text of Scripture, we, we want to say amen to Dr. Gershner. That's right! The words have been being fulfilled since his crucifixion and will be until he comes again. If I, I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all my elect sheep who have not believed to me, in me to myself. When did, the, when did that actually start happening? That the Son of God incarnate, being lifted up, drew somebody to himself. Remember the Alistair Begg clip? Thief on the cross? How are you here in heaven? The man in the middle said I could come? Ooh, could that be the first instance of this very promise that as the Son of God is crucified, he'll begin this having been incarnate 
lived and died, or at least crucified, uh, he now calls sinners to himself, the first one being the thief on the cross. It's not in the notes. It's just a suggestion. It could well be. I think it is. Son of man comes to save sinners, Jews, Gentiles, Europeans, Africans, Asians, Americans, South, North, and South Americans. So we could say this. If that is true, Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, Europeans, Africans, Asians, Americans, did I cover everyone? All the, oh, there's another, uh, Antarctica, is that a continent? Antarcticans. Of all the continents of the earth, some from every, okay? That is true. We, can we say this? In one sense, our church exists because of what Jesus said in John 12, 32. I, I, I think we can say this. And I think we should think that way. Are you saying that between the having been crucified era of his life here on the earth and now and even to the future until he comes again, the Father and the Son, and we could say, and the Spirit, execute divine power in enlightening and enlivening the minds and hearts and souls of sinners who can't see, who haven't learned, who are bent on destroying themselves, and this inward divine persuasion changes souls such that the things that they used to laugh at and scoff at actually attract them. This is, some of you have heard of a book called The Attraction of the Cross, well, it's pretty gory if you just look at it externally. But if you know the theology of the cross, there's the incarnate Son of God bearing my load. Then the cross becomes like attractive to the soul. He's bearing my load? Yes. Some of my sins and guilt? All of your sins and guilt. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from most of our sins from all of our sins. This learning the theology of the cross isn't a mathematical equation that the natural mind can just work through. It, something supernatural has to happen. You don't say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God and mean it in its proper sense. God must work in us in order that we might do his pleasure. Now, sometimes when you hear messages like this, for believers, hopefully you'd be encouraged. For unbelievers, you might be discouraged, going, you mean there's an unless factor? I can't come to Christ unless? That's not very encouraging. But think about all the invitations there are in Scripture. Let him who thirsts come and drink water without price. That's an Isaiah something or other. Jesus picks up on the water and life thing in his earthly ministry. All who are heavy laden, guilty of their sins, burdened, come unto me. Who said that? The incarnate son of God. Matter of fact, there's a hymn, and I'd like to actually change our last hymn to this hymn, Sean. It's 373, I think. Listen to this. No booing. Come, we might be able to sing both. It's early. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched. See what it says? Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Sounds kind of gory there. Come as you are. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is able. He is willing, doubt no more. Come, ye needy, come and welcome God's free bounty, glorify true belief and true repentance Every grace that brings you nigh, without money, without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ 
and buy. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. See, that's a good line there. If you wait in order that you might get better yourself and then you come, you'll never come at all. Why? Because it's worse than we realize outside of Christ. Not only are we bad, but we can't fix ourselves. We can't get better. We will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, not the righteous. Sinners, Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Now watch this, because it almost sounds like, well, I can come. And then God shows mercy. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. And then if you haven't gotten it yet, here's a third time. This he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. It's a wonderful line right there. I think it's expressing what we see here in John 6 and John 12. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture holy, let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus, None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. That's the five stanzas of that hymn. I think most of us that have sang that hymn that like it, uh, the more theologically instructed you are on the tinkerings of grace and the works on the operations of God that aren't seeable by the eye, but the effects that which it causes to come into being, new life in our souls, and then subsequent repentance and obedience and a life of, uh, of, of obedience. Uh, once we understand the theology, these kind of hymns should come off our lips a lot easier. Once we understand our plight, once we understand the remedy, God's solution, and what it takes to bridge that gap. Simply because there's a divine solution doesn't mean the human plight in every single person's case has been taken care of. The, this, the sinners have to come. They, they have to bring their sins and bring their guilts and guilts, guilt, and bring their sorrows and, and bring all of that foul to be cleansed, but they can't unless, but sometimes they do. Why is that? Well, I've come to Christ and opposed to my siblings, just using an illustration, because I'm smart and they're idiots. In my case, my siblings are idiots, and they would say, I'm an idiot too. But that's, that can't be the answer. Only the smart people are believers in Christ. Look around you. We're not many smart, okay? Not compared to some geniuses, right? Could, it can't be smarts. What's the difference between this person and this person raised in the same home with the same religious nurturing, yet one has clung to Christ and the other refuses to. Well, if we want to be, you know, climb up the ladder of causation and get to the end, we'd have to say, God was merciful. He didn't have to be, but he was, so that someone was caused to come to Christ. Not apart from means, but still, they heard, they learned inwardly. They were summonsed, and for them it was an effective summons ushering the person into fellowship or union 
with Christ. That takes divine power. The difference is God, not us. If it was us, there'd be a door open for boasting, right? We'd say, I'm a believer, and we could break our glasses, pound our chests, because I got it. Well, can we say that we got it? We understood it. We could say, yes, but I learned it. I was taught by God, according to Jesus and the prophets of the Old Testament. An internal instruction and instructor invaded me, and, and, and the dark place was, was enlightened. Paul uses that language of darkness and light uh, in 2 Corinthians So this is grounds for us to be very thankful, and it shouldn't stop us from sharing the gospel with people. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. It is the means through which divine power comes and ushers, brings, and causes sinners to come. The drawing of God comes through means. He doesn't just do this effectual draw out in the middle of nowhere. He uses means. It's another reason for us to try to get the means out to places that don't have the means, you know, missions, and maybe places even in our country that don't have churches that are proclaiming the means. Uh, You know, all this is connected, means. Anyway, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all, all peoples, all kinds of people from all over the world between the two comings of Christ. Jesus said he will draw them to himself, not in this case for judgment, but in this case for mercy and grace and salvation and faith and repentance and justification and adoption and sanctification and ultimately glory. Thank you for the good news, the message that God has provided the remedy for our plight. Thank you that it's not us, but it's you. And we ask that you would cause people to hear and to learn in that mysterious way that only you can cause to happen in the soul. And we ask that you would also receive our praises as we sing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.